What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s, John Morant's, Joe Johnson's, Jaw Rafts, of course. We've got Jays. We got him for days. Josh, how you doing? I have some facts I consider to be very fun. I'm excited to have you try and guess them as we go through here. I did a little bit of a deep dive. Okay. On a sort of random thing. I love deep dives on random <laughs> Absolutely. things. Absolutely. Deep dives on random, th- random things are what I live for. Let's just say I did a lot of looking back at NCAA tournament brackets. Okay. Okay. I did not do a lot of looking <laughs> back at NCAA tournament brackets. I did uh, I did some looking back at last year. At, well, yeah, last year's NCAA tournament bracket. But to, 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 to say that I opened up any page that would give me context to any tournament other than the 2022 one would be um, overstepping my preparation for this year podcast but i love a good deep dive i think you're gonna like this factoid and trying to guess it when we get there Mm, i'm looking forward to it um summer rewind final final right yeah man final summer rewind podcast trying to look back at kind of what's happened over the last you know four months or so since the end of the season to to set up what what will be the 2022-23 season set up uh, our college basketball preview series that starts next week, by the way, which is a little wild. But we're getting to that point. You know, by by the time that podcast goes up, we're a month and a half away from the start of the college basketball season, so it's quickly approaching, and uh, it's time to start talking about teams this season. But wrapping up, kind of uh, the this series that we've done to give context to this to this year. Um, to, to this upcoming year, um, we're, we're ending with with five storylines. I'm curious how exactly you a- approached kind of this list of storylines that is inherently connected to the upcoming season, but not necessarily right. It's not the same as the storyline segment we do on mm-hmm. each preview podcast for each conference. It's got a little bit. It's a little bit more nuanced than that. Yeah, I was just kind of looking at things I found interesting about last season. Okay. I think it's probably the best way to put my approach. Okay. And then to add some context to them in terms of what they mean historically or what they mean heading into this season potentially and sort of how it sets the stage for the conversations we're going to have. Right, when we talk about conference storylines and mm-hmm. things like that, these are much more broad about the sporters in the entirety. Our goal was to separate this from talking about, for example, the biggest storylines and questions in the ACC. We're going to save that for the conference preview. So I was very sort of broad in just things I'm curious about when we look back at the end of this upcoming season as some of the biggest questions I want answered. Cool. I like it. All right. Let's get into it. First on your storylines. The first thing I have is simply the end of the COVID era. Mm. I feel like sort of last season and this upcoming season is the point where we have finally ended the era of players we associate with the COVID time. Obviously, COVID is still a thing, but in terms of its historic context within the college basketball landscape and all of these extra years, of the, the players you sort of now feel like have been in college basketball forever because they got that extra year. Mm-hmm. 
of course, the big one still standing is Drew Timmy, mm-hmm. which is why I kind of added this as a storyline for this season because there are still some players around. But you think about guys like Jordan Bohannon in Iowa, you can go down the list. That I feel like this is the first season where there's back to being a reliance on freshmen for a lot of teams. And there simply are not as many experienced players because the past couple years have been a lot of filling your open roster spots with transfers. Or you don't have open roster spots because 75% of your team decided to return. Right. You know? Duke, we talked about this with Duke last season. They were basically the only team in the country that were, was heavily reliant on freshmen because everybody else had this these extra years, then the transfer portal opens up, and now we're getting closer to what it's going to look like moving forward, the combination right. of transfers and freshmen having to contribute to sort of build this quote-unquote recruiting class every season mm-hmm. that is simply not just high school players coming in. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this is the last season we have where we're going to associate these players with the pandemic, the NCAA tournament that didn't happen, mm-hmm. and it's going to kind of all go by the wayside once we finish the 2022-23 season. Um, I'm curious how, with the with the sort of end of... Right, because right, hopefully we still haven't had a season yet. Like, last year was impacted by COVID in smaller ways than the year yeah. before. So from a very, like logistical standpoint hopefully we get about as close as possible to a year that's not impacted by COVID I mean until there's a you know in the same way that the cold is treated like if your player has a cold but if he feels good enough to play he'll play through the cold he'll slam some you know day quill and play through the cold until that happens with COVID there's probably a level that we can't get to when right. it comes to it not impacting the season, but much closer, especially from like a logistical travel games canceled perspective, we're probably at least getting really close to the to the end of that, if not if not getting to the end of that. But also, like, how does the transfer portal kind of settle into its right. new spot here? Combined what, right, we have, like, there was this storm of NIL, extra years, um, no no fee, no no fee, no penalty, no sit-out for transfers, and it created this massive exodus of transfers. Because um, that was, you know, that's actually one of my storylines. It's like, there were over 1,700 transfers last year, and it still was not as big as the year before. Um, there, you know, th- there's... And part of the point was, like, we very rarely see, like, like with all due respect to most of the transfers, a lot of them just aren't going to matter that much to the ceiling of the team that was existing before they got there, and which ones actually matter when we get to the end of the season. Like, which guys are actually, do we feel like, made a difference in this team from a, this is not a national title contender team to now it is? Or we look back and like, yo, this is a title contender team. That guy's performance is the only reason that they've actually gotten to this level. Um, but kind of in that conversation of the turnover of players settling down and getting back more into the timeline that it usually is, where does the transfer por- transfer portal fit in? Do we just is this just the norm that 1,700, 1,800 players are changing schools every single year? Or as you said, there are more freshmen coming in, guys are kind of cycling out of the sport in a more normal manner. 
does it kind of calm down? Certainly not to the place it once was right. because NIL is never going to... NIL has changed that forever, but does it kind of settle into a different place than the absolute chaos it's been the last you know 24 months or so? And the other part of that I'll throw in is we kind of just combine these two. How successful is the transfer portal recruiting strategy long term? Mm. We're going to start seeing mm. more of those That's results good. this season, right? Of It used to be there were specific coaches and programs who really went after the portal. Mm-hmm. Iowa State, Eric Musselman has always been active in the portal, right? You can sort of point to some of those coaches and some of those programs that have always made that part of what they do. Mm-hmm. Then kind of everybody was forced to do it, except there are still a few programs that are not completely out of the portal world, but aren't as active in it as, you know, John Calipari has kind of embraced it, and he's right. bringing in one or two impact transfers every year, Duke to a certain extent. But there are some coaches who are much more, whether they like it or not, much more willing to sort of go the portal route. Mm-hmm. But there's also an argument that that strategy hasn't been incredibly successful on a broad scale, mm-hmm. where the teams that did it consistently made it work because those coaches were used to it. Mark Few also, right, has always been able to integrate his transfers in. He doesn't live in the portal, but he gets his one or two guys he wants, and they fit in and make a big impact for a really good team. Mm-hmm. So that's part of what I'm curious, too, is, for example, Illinois this season. right? That's a completely retooled roster. It looks really good on paper, but does it actually work the way Brad Underwood is hoping, or do we get to a point where we kind of look back on the season and say, you know... There's a lot of value to continuity on your roster, regardless of whether those are proven high major players or not. Mm-hmm. Having guys year after year in your system gets to a sort of sum of the whole being greater than the sum of the parts kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that's part of this as well for me. And, you know, it, that's that's interesting because the top of the sport has a lot more continuity this year than it has the last couple of years from a, not from a, the teams that are up there, but like Gonzaga from two, three years ago, from two years ago to last year was a very different team from the most important players on their roster. Right. They went from Corey Kisper, Jalen Suggs and Drew, right. Drew yep. Timmy was still there, but like Chet Holmgren yep. was, and they were hoping that guys like Hunter Salas and Nolan Hickman were really, really important for their team too. Um, and but you know this year, the the freshman on Gonzaga's roster is very much not the topic of conversation. It's right. Drew Timmy coming back. It's Julian yep. Strother. It's hoping that right Hunter Salas takes a, a step forward, um, and then it's adding a you know a single transfer. Um, and then you write North Carolina, a single transfer. Houston, I mean, we, we can talk about Houston for 15 minutes before we even get to any of the new stuff right. that they added. That's right. And Calvin Sampson is one of those guys who hasn't jumped into the portal with sort of both right. feet, making it work just fine right. for himself. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so so it's going to be interesting there um, because there are some teams kind of on the fringe or if how depending on how you feel about Arkansas. Because like, Arkansas, relative to kind of those three teams I just mentioned, yep. um, and you could probably throw Kentucky in that boat just because they still have Oscar Sheehy. Right, it's a lot of the same um, pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, 
how does Arkansas kind of operate in that space as a team that a lot of people think is going to be one of the five best teams in the country, but in a very different way than those other, you know, couple teams I just mentioned. Exactly. But, um, but yeah, I like that. It's, it's, I think, right, it's been long enough since the sport was completely normal, and there's enough things that have happened structurally in the sport and just fundamentally in the sport <laughs> since that normalcy was yeah. normal that maybe we're going to get to normal and not realize it's normal now yet, if that sentence makes any sense. Or maybe we get to a place that is closer to that 2018, 19, 2019 up until you know March of 2020. Um that normalcy or if we're just much closer to this kind of chaotic transfer driven turnover based um sport that uh, than it was prior to the pandemic okay what's next all right so my second one we don't need to spend a lot of time on this but it is one of the things i am most curious about this season that is simply replacing legends mm. and not just because there are big names that left I mean, yes, Mike Krzyzewski and Jay Wright have 17 Final Fours and seven national championships between them. They, There's some impact there. They did okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I would agree with that statement. But the other part of this I'm curious about is, do you think there are two coaches in the sport who are more synonymous with their programs? Because I have two names in mind, but I don't think either of them actually gets to the same level. I also have two names that come to mind at least immediately and would agree that they're not at the same level. What are your two names? Um, Bill Self and John Calipari. Interesting. I have two completely different ones. Okay. Bill Self is getting pretty close. That's that's fair. And John Calipari is... There's just part of me I that... I mean, there's not, there's, not a, there's not a longevity there, but... They're certainly up there. Yeah. Yeah. From a... Yeah, but yeah. The, the longevity, I mean, but Bill Self, the longevity is getting there. He's yes. been there for yeah. over 15 years yeah. now. So the two that came to mind for me were Jim Beheim and Tom Izzo. Okay. Le- leaning into sort of the more one program, because part of me will always also think of Cal as Memphis, even though, you know, he's completely redefined Kentucky basketball. Mm. So those two guys, but I just don't think they're on the same level as when you think of a coach and a program that go together. To me, it's Duke and Coach K-1 and Jay Wright and Villanova 2 in terms of identity of programs and that the role that person played in creating it. And they're not there. I think the difference between Bayheim and Izzo and Calipari and Jay Wright is that Villanova and Duke have been defined completely by success with those two guys. Not that Tom Izzo and Jen Bayheim mm-hmm. haven't been lucrative winners at their respective schools but is the first thing like the first thing i think about when i think about k and j Wright is those programs being annually national title contenders Mm -hmm. and why and right with with izzo right i'm not gonna sit here and and i'm not interested in the conversation of can izzo deliver in on the biggest stage i'm I'm not interested no, in just, having that conversation. Results-wise, it's not on the same level. But right, yeah. and and the same can be said for Bayham, right. even though he has done, you know, he's taken teams to the Final Four that shouldn't have gone to the Final Four. He's won national championships. He's done all of those things too. Um, it's just to your point, um, maybe maybe that's why. Um, and I guess, I mean, I guess that's why. But like Cal Perry somehow is only 
only has one. Um, Self has two at Kansas now, but not until this past right. year. But I wouldn't put any of those guys quite to your point quite on the same level as I would those yeah. other two guys. Just in terms of you know coaches that again just identity of programs. Mm-hmm. Those two guys are on a whole nother level for me, and so we're going to see what Duke without Coach K and what Villanova without Jay Wright look like. So that was just, I'm curious about that from not just a, we lost these big names and these huge people inside the sport, but just from a program identity standpoint, how does that carry over? Because obviously that's what both Villanova and Duke are trying to do with the coaches now in place. Uh, in a similar manner, a sixth of the sport changed their coach last year. Mm. 61 coaching changes. That's a right? lot. By my math, 60 times 6. 6 times 6 is 36, so you add a 0. Somewhere in there. Right? Yeah. My math correct there. Um, and it's not right. There's a lot of changing positions at the mid-major level, you know, per, per, per usual. But you're also, right, on top of your Villanova and Duke, which is what, while it was especially at Duke, a change we knew was coming is, is still a change nonetheless. But, right, we're, you know, programs like Louisville, Florida, Maryland, LSU, Seton Hall, Xavier, Butler, Mississippi State, um, South Carolina, a lot of, if not, right, a lot of those teams on that list are have very storied basketball programs. And then some of them are just really high-profile schools and high-profile positions. But... I think when we're laying the groundwork for this year, a sixth of coaching of the teams in the country having a new coach is is an important thing to consider. Um, and with the the caliber of coaches that switched and the caliber of programs that were that that coaches went to, that I think like I won't be surprised if we look up and the Sweet Sixteen has multiple coaches that are leading programs for the first time or leading those specific programs for the first time and having a real impact on how the end of the season ends up concluding. Yeah. And in addition to the circumstances at Duke, you know, you think about the, the Seton Hall, Maryland thing, two big time programs. Mm -hmm. Shaheen Holloway is one of the most interesting coaches in the country in terms of what does he do for an encore? Mm -hmm. And we've talked about this before that coaches like Kevin Miller don't change jobs. No. In that kind of way, there's a lot of you have every sort of level of intrigue you would want from Duke turning the page from Coach K to a coach of Kevin Willard's caliber taking over a program with the resources of Maryland. Right. It's yeah, that is. I wouldn't have guessed 61. It's a lot, but it is certainly one of the more interesting aspects of this season. Next. Okay, number three. I am curious. We've talked a tiny bit about this. And this is... I'm trying to keep it separate from the conference Mm storylines. But overall, how does this conference hierarchy shake shake out this season? Because I look at the Big Ten and the Big 12, and yes, I'm aware Kansas and Baylor exist. But when you're talking about the three to five top teams in the country and the teams that if you're asking who are the title contenders... I'm not sure you're putting a single Big Ten and Big 12 team in there. At least if you're keeping the list small and sort of where you're starting, mm-hmm. right? You're starting with Gonzaga. You're starting with Kentucky and, and Arkansas out of the SEC. UNC. You, right, thank you. That was the other one. North Carolina. You're not talking about the Big Houston. Ten. Houston, right. Those are probably the five. Mm-hmm. You're not talking about the Big 12 and the Big Ten. 
those are the best two conferences in the country, typically. Mm-hmm. Then, we talked about the SEC's success last season. You laid out all of the Ken Palm numbers and the conference's performance. Mm-hmm. And then, like I just said, you have Kentucky and Arkansas, who are widely considered to be two of the best five teams in the country. Right. And then, on top of that, what is the ACC going to do? The ACC is in a position to be very, very good with what Duke and North Carolina are offering. You expect Virginia to be much improved. The conference looks much better on paper Mm -hmm. after a horrible season last year. But do they actually deliver? Mm -hmm. Are we in a world where I still give me the Big 12 every day? But after that, are we in a consensus that the SEC is the second best conference in the country entering the NCAA tournament? Mm -hmm. There's a world in which that happens. So I am really curious how this all shakes out because there are so many different aspects and so many questions with all these different conferences. And here's the SEC with perhaps the fewest question marks of any conference in the country. Yeah. There isn't really too much more to say to that, but it's something I'm watching. Yeah. Um, My towing the line with conference previews um, point that I'm going to make here... um, ACC won the most tournament games last year. Now, I qualify with that. With yeah. Duke and UNC both made it to the Final Four, so that makes it that's helpful. Yeah. But what I will also say is they had more teams in the second round than the Big East, SEC, and the Pac-12, and a better winning percentage in the first round than everybody but the Big 12. And see, that just makes me sad. So... The the point I'm getting to here, they had five teams in the tournament, four made it to the round of 32. The Big 12 had six. All six made it to the round of 32, which is impressive. Yes. Yeah. Um, but kind of the point I'm making here is, and I'm going to stop short of any actual conversation about who might join, but the ACC was very much for the majority of the season a one-trick pony, and then it was a two-trick pony for the last, like, six weeks. Where does kind of... Where does conference... Is there is there conference impact on the country as significant, just more spread out? Is it... Are we looking at another year of... I was looking at the NCAA tournament. I was like, what? The, the ACC won? I mean, the Big 12 didn't have a bad tournament. And, I mean, the Big 12 had a team win the national championship. And the ACC, on the back of those two teams, yes, um, had more wins collectively. But those two teams, I mean, Duke only won four games, right? Because they lost in the Final Four and UNC won five. So we're still talking about six games that the rest of the ACC won. Mm -hmm. What does the ACC's... What does the ACC's impact on the 2022-23 season look like? We talked about how... They, they were barely better than the Pac-12 last year, <laughs> according to Ken Palm. Right, none of it makes sense. And there are a couple teams on the list at, in the ACC that are like, okay, those teams could have better years next year. But I'm just, it's such, like, it used to just be that, like, the ACC's got five of the 17 best teams in the country. You know, five of the, you know, they got five teams in the top 25. They got four that are there all season. And one that kind of bounces in and out. And there are times that you're like, man, that team's like 19th in the country this week. Um, and last year it just wasn't the case. And for a long time it was just thank the Lord for Duke, right? 
And then UNC, out of nowhere, after their you know February 19th loss to Virginia Tech, just decided that they were going to be one of the best teams in the country. Um, what does their impact look like this year? That was just, I couldn't get over it. I had to talk about it after kind of looking through what the NCAA tournament picture was last year, where we actually ended up. And then, you know, this is none of this is to say that we should take anything from the from the single elimination NCAA tournament, other than how beautiful and spectacular it is. Um, but I'm I'm just uber confused by the by yes. the ACC because, like, you could also tell me that those two teams are going to be the only two teams that have a real national impact this year, and then one of them gets upset in the first two rounds of the NCAA tournament, and then it's like, man, the ACC sucked in the regular season, and then like the furthest a team got was the sweet 16 like that could very well happen and it wouldn't be all that far away at all from last year's season <laughs> right. they just had two teams that made a run yeah and perhaps and probably the most talented team in the country last year in duke yeah it's a really strange way to start the mm-hmm. season both from north carolina's perspective and the acc as a whole thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Yes. Oh, I'm, I'm here for it. And I'm actually going to kind of build off of it for my... It's incredible how much these sort of build off each other and mm-hmm. connect. We have had back-to-back seasons with five teams who were an eight seed or higher in the Sweet 16. Okay. okay. First of all, would you like to guess those ten teams in the last two seasons? <laughs> Sorry, will you... Ten teams... Sorry, go ahead. Last, will you, will you re, yes. restate? Thank Last you. two seasons, we've both of them, okay. there have been five teams who were eight seeds or higher in the Sweet, in 16. The sweet 16. So ten teams total. Correct. And you're asking me to guess them? Would you like to? Sure. Okay. St. Peter's. Correct. The Darling. Yeah. Um, St. Peter's... Jeez Louise, Joshua. Um, <laughs> One of them is obvious. We've talked about them a lot already. UNC? Yep. They were an eight. Oh right, okay, eight. I was thinking double digits. Eight, okay. Um Yeah, I had to I had to put it the eight for this to work. Um Do you have all of them listed yes. in front of you? Yes. Okay. Um Man. Virginia Tech? No. 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 Is there a tech team in there? No. No. Two of these teams played each other. The other one lost in the sweet sixteen. This year? Yes. St. Peter's, North Carolina. One of them is an ACC team. (laughs) Just give me the teams. Okay. So the other three were Michigan, Iowa State, and Miami. Michigan was an 8 seed? Michigan was an 11. Wow. Yeah, I don't remember that. And then they lost to Villanova, if I remember correctly. Right. Okay, yes. So then... Season before, we had UCLA, Oral Roberts, Loyola, Oregon State, and Syracuse. Jeez, what an interesting concoction <laughs> yes. that is. Also keep in mind, two of these teams made the Final Four. Mm-hmm. Okay? When was the last time before the 2021 tournament there were five teams eight, that were an eight-seater higher that made the Sweet 16? I will give you a hint and say this was also a tournament, maybe the tournament, most known for its chaos and Cinderella is going deep. Not necessarily a 15 seed, but teams that had no business making a deep run going super deep in the tournament. 2010? 2011. 2011, okay. Because 2010, 
Was it 2011 that had VCU? Yes. Okay, you're, that's you're the, that, right that's yeah. the that's the that was the tournament I was yes. trying to yes. to pinpoint. Yes, yeah. that's correct. You had Marquette as an 11 seed, Florida State as a 10, Richmond as a 12, and then 11 seed VCU and 8 seed Butler making right. the final four. Yeah. Like we talked about with the ACC, none of this makes any sense. Mm-hmm. But I am very curious. Are we are in a bizarre NCAA tournament? situation here these past two seasons Mm -hmm. is this just going to be the new reality i can't point to anything in particular and say here's why this is happening Mm -hmm. and you know these teams are having success right every all three of those seasons one of those teams made the final four at least Mm -hmm. or are we going to get back to the point we usually are where there are some upsets early you have some team you're excited about that makes the sweet 16 and you look up in the final four and it's maybe a trying to think of an example of a, a Michigan or a Florida State or something in there with or a Wisconsin or you know a big 10 we'll just say a big 10 team with you know Kansas Duke and Kentucky or something like that where you go ah this makes sense and and funny enough like we got to that point with the final four last year I mean the last mm-hmm. year the final four was we talked about that just right. straight up blue bloods but it very quickly went from from where we were in the Sweet 16 to that to that yeah. point, they very rarely would get to that lucrative, you know, deep run by a surprising team in the Sweet 16, and one of them doesn't make it to the Final Four. It kind of weeded itself out, and yeah. then we were ended up with with four really good teams. But and it just happened North Carolina was an eight seed, so they fell into this category, even though right. they were it, okay. Sorry, yeah. fair. Okay, to your point. So, two seasons ago, it was a little more chaotic, but again, it was also UCLA. So there's right. part of but. Just this idea of these teams continue to win multiple games in the NCAA tournament that have no business doing so. Mm-hmm. And usually you have one or two of those, not five. Right. Is this just going to be a thing, or are we going to get back to a more logical NCAA tournament this season? That's all. That's fair. <laughs> and and it's, it's interesting to talk about what that why that's actually the case. <laughs> yeah. Like, is it because... Is it because... Over the last couple of years, there's just been so little continuity that so few basketball teams have actually played in high-pressure situations together. And the teams that did probably played in a mostly empty building in the 2021 NCAA tournament. Right. Is it transfers just... It's, it's harder to predict how transfers perform on new teams in the NCAA tournament, then we, you look at those teams, and those teams aren't transfer-driven, and those teams that make deep runs you know, from mid-majors typically aren't transfer-laden teams. I mean, like, right, Loyola Chicago gets to the Sweet 16 because they're a really good, experienced basketball team, not because they added two really important transfers. Right. Um, and maybe it just add, maybe it's just a result of the chaos of the sport as a whole, but um, you know. And you got two fifth back to back fifteen seeds in the Sweet Sixteen, right? <laughs> How did, why does why does that happen? Right. How does that happen? And yeah, you can argue right part of this the neutral Oral Roberts beat who Ohio State. It was Ohio State, yeah. right? You can argue part of this was the neutral floor two seasons ago, where right you didn't have the. Sure. geographical advantages that are built in in a traditional NCAA tournament, but I just I found that bizarre. Yeah. So I wanted to highlight it. Um, okay, I got two more. Do you have two more? Do you I have, have one, one more? more. Okay. Um, 
The transfer portal solidifies the year of the big. The transfer portal decision solidifies the year of the big. Um, here's the guys coming back that are large human beings. Um, uh, Drew Timmy, Oscar yes. Shibway, Trace Jackson Davis, Armando Baycott, Hunter Dickinson. Zach Eady is sixth on this list. And might even be further down than that. I was just trying to think of, like, another guy. But, like, those are, those, like, if you told me those were the five best players in the country this season, I'd be no, like, yeah, okay, we, cool. We're joking about this, but I really am half serious that that could very well be your first team preseason All-American. Yeah. <laughs> they might just have to lean into it because it's that obvious. Right. Um, Timmy and Shibuya are going to play on November 20th. It's the first time since 1973 of returning AP Player of the Year and a two-time AP All-American are playing each other. <laughs> That's excellent. 50 years. Um, and, and, and the larger point here, and a point that we'll just have to consider moving forward, what, are, what do these five players have in common on a very elementary level? They are not traditional NBA. That's correct. Right. They, they are guys who... We're not necessarily turning down being a lottery pick to continue their college The moment careers. they leave their college career, they will never be as important to a right. basketball team again as they are right now. It's a really good way to put it. Yeah. And, like, it used to be that being a second-round pick, that was enough to get you to go. Oscar Shibway is making seven figures playing college basketball this year. Reportedly, right. And I think, I believe he had to do it all in the Bahamas. Did you hear about this? No, I didn't. That not. because... Of his green card or something, he wasn't eligible to actually get compensated in the U.S., so he did all of this stuff while they were on their tour? Really? I didn't know that. I didn't read closely into it, so don't quote me on that. But, but kind of like that, that box you have to check when you're filling out a job application, like, are you eligible yeah, to work in the United States? I think. So I think he made something like a million dollars on their Bahamas trip. Yeah. Not to, a bad to your vacation. Point. He's getting his mon- money one way or another, like he deserves. Um, And, you know... There are probably two categories that will fall into this. We just have a stacked position group, right? It's big guys that are more traditionally skilled um, and not stretching the floor a ton. Not, I mean, none of those guys are... I mean, Oscar Chibwe is an incredibly brute force, but not a rim protector in the same way that, like, Evan Mobley is right. a rim protector. Um, it's, it's that kind of group of guys. And then, right, we'll look up, and there are... Five or six, like third or fourth year point guards that are roughly six foot and unathletic, really relatively unathletic compared to NBA standards, right? Or, you know, talking about the right, Jalen Brunson is carved out clearly. He's the, the next number one priority in, pre, in free agency, has clearly carved out a very lucrative career for himself in the NBA. But there's a reason that he was drafted yeah. like 31st or whatever and it was. And regardless of his NBA resume, if you will, or his scouting report, he was still way more talented than anybody you're going to bring up in this potential right. race. He was the best player in the country. He just happened to not be exactly from a skill physical and physical standpoint what the NBA was looking right. for. But, you know, especially the guys that are as important to the sport, like, right, a, a, and not all of these guys were here in the same, but like a list that is made up of guys like Colin Gillespie, like Peyton Pritchard, like, I mean, even like a guy like Ryan Archidiakono. Um, these guys... Marcus Howard? Marcus Howard, that's a good one. Miles Powell. Mm-hmm. Um, these guards that, like, I, I think we'll kind of get to the point that every few years we have this, like, oh my gosh, all five of those guards came back? There's, like, two All-Americans on that list and two more second-team All-Americans on that list. Um, I think it's going to be kind of 
focused on those two kind of ends of the spectrum, the the very college specific point guards and the very college specific big men, because kind of in between right there are, I mean, we can go down the list of guys that left to go to the NBA early that probably shouldn't have, but like right. their potential and athleticism alone yeah. got them into the lottery. Right. They're all six, 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 seven, right. over athletic. Right. Yeah. Like Kendall Brown had absolutely no business going to the NBA this year, but he still got drafted because he has defensive upside and he's just uber athletic. Like, and if you can yeah. get him to knock down a corner three, every NBA team wants that guy on their roster. Um, but I think this becomes a, a newer, th- not a newer thing, a more consistent thing, not to this level. I mean, this is a ludicrous group of big guys. I mean, all of these guys are ridiculously good. Um, like Trace Jackson Davis being like not even in consideration for one of the best big men, in the, like yeah. one of the two best big men in the country is preposterous because of how good he is um, and how technically skilled he is. But I think this is the kind of thing that will kind of, We'll be able to say things like the year of the veteran point guard kind of thing, the year that, you know, in the same way that, you know, the year of the big. Um, and it's just kind of on top of it all, it's cool to see it happen in 2022 when the shift of the game is going entirely mm-hmm. in the other direction. And I've just got five guys here that aren't three-point shooting big men that are going to dominate the sport this year. Drew Timmy's playing point guard on that team, right? Absolutely. <laughs> um, okay, last thing in this point. Um, I give you the teams that those five teams play on. I get the field to win the national championship. Okay, so that's IU, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Michigan. IU, Gonzaga, Kentucky, Michigan, and UNC. And UNC. Ooh. I forgot about Baycott. Yeah, I'll take them. I think you have to. UNC, Gonzaga. Like having those and two, Kentucky, and I Kentucky, feel having good those about two those teams. Three. I mean, that's three of the that's three of the five teams I would pick. And, and I get you know, I get Arkansas, I get Duke, Duke, I get Houston, I get the Big Twelve, <laughs> I get the Big Twelve, um, as well as the Big Ten. <laughs> yeah, but you also get. What's being considered the best team in the Big Ten this year? That's all oh, right, right. I, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like you have to. I feel like you have to. Yeah, take it. I'm, I'm gonna take it. Anyways. It's pretty close, but sixty yeah. percent, and you throw in an extra five to ten for just randomness, right. and maybe it's closer to five. So I still think it's. I I think I'll take that, and you're gonna get the right result, fifty-five to sixty percent of the time. All right. What's last on your list? All right. So finally. I was curious because we had such a Blue Blood Final Four last year, Mm -hmm. and specifically the fact that Duke and North Carolina both made it and are now coming into this season as two of the better teams in the country, and North Carolina is very much viewed as a team that should get back to the Final Four. Mm -hmm. I was curious, how often does that actually happen, where you have a team, and I was also thinking about UCLA, and right, the hype that was building, and that didn't go so well. Mm-hmm. How often do you actually back up a Final Four with another Final Four? Would you like to guess the last program to make two consecutive Final Fours? Butler. Or, no. Is there one more recent than Yes. That? Two consecutive Final Fours. Yes. And neither of these teams won the national championship? Are there two of them? No, no, no. Sorry, the two seasons. They didn't uh, win in either. Oh, okay. Um, unless I'm mistaken. Is it I'm, Michigan? No. Michigan they did not make back-to-back. They had a they stretch in Was there. it two and three years? 
Maybe. Because you had the, the time they lost to Villanova, mm-hmm. and you oh. had Louisville a couple seasons before that. Was it only two? I think it might have only been two. Interesting. Okay. I mean, maybe cre- credit to the... Oh, no, no, because they beat... No, they beat Loyola when they lost to Villanova. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it might have just been two. Okay. There were some teams that, yeah, had two and three or two and four or something. Um... Is it obvious? Were you surprised? Not, I was surprised. Yes. Is it recent, or are we talking more like the middle of the decade? Middle of the decade. 13, 14, 14, 15. Okay. Is that... So, is it Wisconsin? No. No. Is it Kentucky? That's correct. Is it Kentucky? Yeah. I was thinking, well, because the 14-15 Final Four is pretty memorable, because right. you had that undefeated yes. Kentucky team... That Duke team that won the national championship and the Frank the Tank yes, Wisconsin right. team. Was Michigan State the other team there? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. So the last team that managed to actually get to a Final Four a season after that program got to a Final Four was the Kentucky team that nearly went undefeated. <laughs> I just found wow. that kind of interesting. So now you're talking about... Oh, so this also plays into the bigger conversation about this season, too. Because Kentucky hasn't been to a Final Four since. Mm. And you have Duke and North Carolina and Kansas, who all made it last season. Mm-hmm. And Villanova also, but I, it's going to be tough sledding because they just lost Colin Gillespie. Right. Not so, to mention Jay Wright. <laughs> right. That too. We love you, Colin. That thing. We do. So when you're... T- so m- historically... The data is saying Kansas, Duke, North Carolina, and I mean, I guess not Kentucky technically, but mm. early, you know, Kentucky has not performed well in the NCAA tournament recently. There's a chance none of those teams make the Final Four, mm-hmm. or there's we're going to buck this trend, and a Duke or a North Carolina or a Kansas is going to find a way to get back, mm. or Cal is going to make this work for the first time since 2014-15. Mm-hmm. I just found all that very very interesting because we're talking about a lot of the same teams up at the top of the sport Mm -hmm. and it's not as easy as it looks to find a way to win those four games yeah four games to get Mm -hmm. to a final four Mm -hmm. as it might appear because the NCAA tournament is not accurate reflection on who the best teams are no I like that are you ready for me to be that guy let me take a moment okay (laughs) That has, okay. that has the same that has the same um, the same energy as um, oh uh, when uh, in friends we're, we're big friends people here um, Ross flirting with a pizza girl and Ross is like prepare yourselves for some class A flirting and Chandler's like okay <laughs> right 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 alright I'm ready. <laughs> But you had much more in interest in, I mean, maybe not much more than Chandler portrayed on screen there, but nonetheless. Um, okay. How much longer do we go without talking about Gonzaga not winning the national championship? Ah. Uh, I longer did do, think about that. How much longer do we go with Gonzaga having the best roster in the country again and not winning a national championship? Now, is this me saying that we should be talking about this right now necessarily no this is but but i and i didn't do the research to be to be fair but when was it when was the last time 
one program had the most talented roster in the country three years in a row. Three years in a row. I mean, maybe Kentucky? Maybe. But, like, in the, like, you know, kind of in the early half of the 2010s, I mean, like, you had the year that Nerlens Noel got hurt, and, like, there were some weird years in there. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. But in, in like, the, the teams that kind of, like, Florida was the most talented team in the country for two years. Yeah. Um, and, right, like I said, I didn't go roster diving for 25 minutes on this to, to try and give you an answer. The but only other team I could think about was Duke. Potentially. Maybe. But, like, and what might even separate Gonzaga from any of those is I don't think there's a year, regardless of the talent on the roster, that we were saying, like, heading into the season, that team is the national title favorite. Like, typically there's, like, especially with those really, like, younger Kentucky teams, like those Mm -hmm. super young freshman-driven Kentucky teams, there's conversations like, yeah, that's a freshman-led Kentucky team, but, like, you know... Team X is this like team that's bringing everybody back from a two seed a year ago, so on and so forth. Right. There's been very little pushback on the idea that somebody has a more talented roster than Gonzaga, and there might be a little more this year. But like, I mean, the the only other team that like people are really having a conversation about is probably UNC, and that team didn't put together a full national title contender no. season last year. They put together six weeks, and right, I'm that that's. We've had that conversation a million times already, so we don't need to have it again. But this level of talent relative to the expectation heading into the year, because this is year three of them being the favorite, if not like very, very close to the favorite. I don't know what the books have on UNC and Gonzaga, yeah. but to the favorite to win the national championship three years in a row. And actually delivering on it. Right. Because that's the other part of this, too. It's not like they were the preseason number one and then something happened or they just didn't play well. This was, my goodness, look at how they just obliterated all of those really good teams they played in non-conference. And my goodness, look at what Chet Holmgren is doing to these poor WCC teams. Right, The conversation hadn't changed much at all Mm -hmm. heading into the NCAA tournament. Right. Because I think that's sort of to your point about the experience and the roster – and the expectations, there just were never any questions other than can they actually win six games? Right. And this is not like like typically people have this conversation to try and belittle the success of a program just because it doesn't include a national championship. Right. This that really isn't what I'm doing because no. I I don't really have interest in the conversation from that standpoint. But like it's some like like it's almost just a it's going to be an inaccurate representation of this era of Gonzaga basketball if they don't win a national championship. Yep. It's going to be inaccurate because they've right there's there's the definition of domination in the sport is different than like, you know, certainly like the wooden teams, but even like like the Florida teams in the 2000s or the Duke teams in the early 90s, like the dom- like the definition of domination is just different because the sport is so different. But it's about as close as to domination as you can get from a like we're just the best team in the country annually right now and if we get to a point where like right Timmy you know Timmy heads off to the next portion of his career um and like inevitably it's going to happen at some point that Gonzaga a Gonzaga roster just isn't going to be as good right i mean 
relative. I mean, that's relatively speaking. I mean, we're still right. probably talking about for the next at least five years, even if they're not one of the best teams in the country, it's a, yeah, that's a top 15 team that's going to win the WCC and they're going to be a top four seed in the tournament. Like that's, that's where we are with Gonzaga. But at some point we're just going to get to the point where this run of, yeah, that's probably the best team in the country is going to come to an end. And if they don't win a national championship, like and we can rope that team with Nigel Williams, Goss, um, mm. and Josh Perkins, like that team, we can rope that team into it as well. But if we go through this five, you know, six year stretch without Gonzaga winning a national championship, I think it's an inaccurate representation of just how good that program has been. Um, and Kim Palm tweeted today, like just before we we started recording, that he's had the current algorithm on Kim Palm for the last fifteen years. Gonzaga spent the most time at number one in his algorithm than any other program. And it's like by, hold on, let me find the actual, let me find the actual terminology. But the point being, and, and you can build on it if you'd like to, but the point being is that they're just so, okay, last 11 seasons, total days at number one in his ratings under the current algorithm. Sorry. There are 15 teams to be at the top, been to the top over that time. Gonzaga, 303 days. Kentucky is second at 263. Duke is third at 146. And the last time Kentucky was number one, January 19th, 2017. Yeah. <laughs> so, and like none of these teams, the close, right, Gonzaga was first on April 4th, 2022. And ba- and Baylor, Baylor is, so. Baylor is. 13th on this list, right? One, two, three, four. Yeah. 13th on this list. They're the most recent Kempom number one, January of 2022. Nobody else has been first at Kempom on this list since 2020, <laughs> right? Are you looking at this yeah, right too? That's what I'm seeing. Okay. So that is incredible. The point here is is all that we've. Right. Okay. So I, I want to throw this in there too. So basically, the end of the 19. 19- 20. 20 season, right? Kansas was number one on March 11th, which is when everything yeah. shut down. Yeah. That's what you're seeing too, right? Is mm-hmm. That was the last time somebody other than Baylor yes. had topped Gonzaga. And Gonzaga's been actually been basically at the top of that since March 11th of right. 2020. So all of the, the point is all of this, right? That they've been so, so spectacular. And it's going to be a shame if we can't talk about a national championship as part of the era. I did consider putting that as one of my storylines. And you know how much I hate this conversation. But I was going to go where you eventually went with it, which is there's no guarantee you're getting another Drew Timmy. Mm-hmm. Mark Few is going to have exceptionally talented rosters. They're going to recruit fine. There's always going to be players that want to come in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. They're not falling off a cliff. But the difference between being clearly the best team in the country and the consensus pick heading into a season or into an NCAA tournament and being one of the 10 teams that could theoretically win it mm-hmm. is massive. Yeah. And there's just no guarantee Mark Few can keep this up. Because what he had in this stretch, and specifically the past two seasons and now including this one coming up, is he had Drew Timmy plus... Five-star recruits, right? And now this roster looks a little bit different. But it wasn't just that he got the top freshman in the country or one of them. It's that he paired Jalen Suggs with Corey Kispert and Andrew Timmy. 
and he paired Chet Holmgren with National Player of the Year contender Drew Timmy. Mm-hmm. Everything just came together. And there is no guarantee that is going to happen again. Mm-hmm. There is part of me that wonders if they don't do it this season, will they ever? And this is not about the fact that they don't play anybody in conference because that's simply not true. Mm-hmm. This is not about the fact that they don't test themselves because that means you're not paying attention to their non-conference schedules. Mm-hmm. I mean, my goodness. Not to mention that they've been to the national championship game twice in right. the last five years. And they don't lose before the Sweet 16. Right. That part of it, too. Right. It's just those two, three, four games, yep. depending on the season, when you're playing teams that could theoretically beat you. Because, I mean, maybe an eight seed can. Mm-hmm. I'm a little skeptical of yeah. that. But once you get to the four seeds, it is it is possible somebody catches you on your off day. And mm-hmm. twice they just ran into juggernauts. Yeah, that's the next thing I was going to say. I mean, we, we, we lost to the Justin Jackson, Joel Berry, right. Kennedy Meeks. The um, best team in the country. Right. They've lost to the best team in the country twice. twice. Now, one of those is they gave that mantle away to Baylor in the national right. championship game. Right. But it is. But I will hold on to the fact that if those teams, two teams, would have played that game they were scheduled to in December, that the narrative around those two teams would have been completely different for the last I would three. Agree. Because there's no way Baylor does what they did to Gonzaga in that national championship game, and there isn't at least evidence of that being a possibility in that game, considering just how physically overwhelming yeah. Baylor was. That, and that means that, that Baylor game. is number one in the country basically all season, assuming they win. Yeah. Right. It's a fascinating conversation. It's the same conversation that you're having about Liverpool and the soccer world right now where yeah. Manchester City is just a juggernaut. They keep coming up short. They lost a couple Champions League finals, and it's kind of, well, what is the legacy? Right. I mean, they won some stuff, but nowhere near as much as they should have. Right. It's it's Because it's still, they underachieve even if they win a national championship this season. Mm-hmm. But the conversation is very different because Mark Few has a national championship. Right. And then you go, okay, well, they got there two other times. They played terrific teams and lost somewhat close games. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah, it's, I'm right there with you. I almost made that one of mine. Thank you for letting me get that off my check because that's, that is fascinating to me because very rarely is it. Is it getting that close, right? It's 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 hard to kind of live in that gray area. Of, <laughs> yeah. You haven't won a national championship, but like I'm not really all that disappointed in your in your performances, right? I'm never going to pick against you, still, right? It's, I don't really have a reason to suggest that Gonzaga is like it's not like they have the Virginia thing where it's like I don't care how good you are in the regular season if your offense has no creativity in it. I I'm having a really hard time picking you to go to the national championship. And and I just they, like Gonzaga very doesn't have that thing to point to where it's like that's the reason that they're not getting there at least for me. Uh, there is no one number that comes to mind, and I haven't done the the research to actually see if this backs me up as much as I think. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if they have ever been good enough defensively. Mm, that's fair because we talked right we talked about this last week. The worst defensive team in the national championship. Was Baylor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't view Gonzaga, and again, maybe I'm wrong about this. We're looking it up as we speak here. Let's see. Adjusted defensive efficiency, 10th last year, 11th the year before, 43rd the year before that. That was the 1920 season. So the last two years, they've been good enough. Uh, 12th 
Okay. And we can also have a conversation about what it means to get to play the WCC. Yes, that was in for the last twenty games of your yeah. season because typically I'm not all that interested in that conversation. But when it comes to the very categorical way of determining if your defense is good enough yeah. to win a national championship based on your Kim Palm ranking, um, then we, I'll entertain yes. that. But I will have questions as to how Baylor. We've ended, never. Sorry, go ahead. I, I will forever have questions about how Gonzaga ended up with a better defensive efficiency heading into the national championship game than Baylor. Mm. That will never make sense to me. Sure. So if you want to point to something, it's that. But right, it's not like they've been you know 55th in defensive efficiency every season. Right. Take it with a grain of salt because of the WCC. But they're, they're not giving up 90 points every time they play a good team. Right. They've been good defensively. Maybe they haven't been great. That's the only hole I can poke. But I'm with you. that They check every single box and just haven't put together six wins yet. Yeah. Um, the 2018-18, no, the 2019 Virginia team is different than all of the other Virginia teams, by the way. That is not the, that, that team does not prove that you can win a national championship the way that all the other Virginia teams played. Because they were the most efficient offense in the country. Because they were creative. They had the ability to be creative yeah. offensively. Were they, were they number? Maybe they weren't number one, but they were top five. I know they that were for higher sure. in offensive efficiency than they were yeah. in defense efficiency. They were that good possession by possession, right? Because mm-hmm. they had NBA players out there. Yes. Yeah. Which lead, which breeds create offensive creativity because things are really great when the offense runs the way it's supposed to. But like guys making shots when things get tough is why that team was different. Anyways, we've had that conversation a million times too. Yep. Do you have anything else? The only thing I've got left, just wanted to mention horrible news about Jonathan Charks. Oh, yeah. Ringer, writer, covered the Mavericks a lot. He was an NBA guy. It's it's heartbreaking. All I'll say is, since I first learned about what he was going through, it was something I have pointed to in conversations with people and will continue for the rest of my life. To put things in perspective. Yeah. He, I mean, he was out there talking about, and he wrote about it too. You can go find it on The Ringer. He wrote a whole piece about it. Mm-hmm. This, just this idea of, I want people to, you know, finances are important, but really what I'm focused on is people investing in my kid who's, I think he's two. Three. Three. Yeah, three now. He might have been two at the yeah. time of the piece, but yeah. He's Somewhere three. in there. Because Jonathan Charks didn't have his dad around, mm-hmm. and he knew he wasn't going to be there for his kid. Yeah, it it's just absolutely devastating. Yeah. So thoughts and prayers to that family, and like I said, it if you ever want to help put things in perspective and be grateful, just go look at what he had and that family is having to endure now. Yeah, one hundred percent. Very very well said. I, Thank I will you. I will mirror all of those things, but. Um, don't find it necessary to to com- to completely reiterate them all on my own. But yes, um, heartbreaking um, to have somebody's father and husband be taken away from them at the age of thirty four. That is thirty four, thirty five, thirty four. I'm pretty sure. Um, very, I, I, very heartbreaking. So, um, shouts to you know, prayers, thoughts to the Ringer family because the you know the Ringer clearly. It clearly he was a foundational member of the ringer and listening to his colleagues talk about him um and of course um his wife his his little boy for sure um 
on a happier note, it's time for season previews. It is time for season previews. That's next week. And that takes us all the way up to the start of the season. Um, per normal, you know, the six conferences, the six power conferences, um, then we'll, I believe, did we dedicate a, a mid-major podcast? Do we have a mid-major podcast in there this year? I don't think so. I don't believe we do. I think we I think we ran out of days, but don't worry. We'll give the mid-major their love. Um, as well as, you know, predictions for the Final Four and all of those fun things, First Team All-Americas, um, all of those things coming in the next six to seven weeks as we get really, really close to the start of of the college basketball season. I cannot wait. Um, thank you for hanging out with us this summer. It's time to uh, to turn our thoughts to the to the 2023-2022-23 season, and uh, we'll start that next week. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Uh, check out the Twitter. I just told you to check out the Twitter. How about you check out the YouTube right there? This is really hard with the camera. It is. It is not. It is not easy. I've had um, to practice when I've done it before. Yeah. Um, it's somewhere on the screen. You've seen it. Um, but uh, but we'll be back next week, and uh, and we'll see you then. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the J- of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh, and we will see you later.